Welcome to Cincy Reformed Podcast. I am Pastor Brandon, and today we have a devotional from the book of Ephesians, and specifically Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 to 21. And I want to hone in on this text in our devotion this week, thinking about what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit So in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15, Paul writes, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with with the Spirit addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father and the name in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And so I'd like to focus our attention to verse 18, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. So as we, we begin to kind of engage this, uh, this teaching of you know, being filled with the Holy Spirit, there's, there's a, a few things that we need to be clear of up front. And one is every Christian has the Holy Spirit. Every Christian has the Holy Spirit living inside of them. We see this in, in many passages. One of those passages is 1 Corinthians twelve thirteen, that says, For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of the one spirit. So, you know, when Paul is is writing this, it's not as though people don't have the Holy Spirit. And, you know, we, we, we clearly do. And the Holy Spirit will never leave us. Uh, why will the Holy Spirit never leave us? Because when we are saved, when we are justified and adopted and sanctified, when we are uh, born again by the Holy Spirit, we can never fall from that state of grace. The Spirit never leaves us. But even as we're, we're told that the Spirit will never leave us, we all have the Holy Spirit and so on, uh, yet we're, we're told not to grieve the Holy Spirit. And, and in 1 Thessalonians 5.19, we're told, do not quench the Holy Spirit. So we have the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will not leave us. But then we are also told, do not grieve the Spirit. Do not quench the Spirit. How do we, how do we think of these, of these texts? How do we, we think of a permanent endowment of the Holy Spirit and at the same time told, do not grieve and quench? Um, you know, I think that you know, while our union with Christ our union with God, that is secure. That, that, that is fixed. When you are united to Christ, 
you are in a fixed relationship. It is uh, irrevocable, and you are in you are secure in Christ. But yet, even as our union with Christ is secure, is fixed, the Bible speaks of our communion, or there's relational aspects that can get stronger or weaker as we quench, as we grieve, perhaps, the Holy Spirit. Notice also, you know, for, for example, the Apostle Paul. You know, the Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 9, verse 17, is filled with the Holy Spirit. But then we see the Spirit filling him for various things that he's about to do. So, for example, in Acts 13, verse 9, filled for mission work. And there can be this kind of filling again, not that he was without the Holy Spirit, but that the Spirit filled him for a specific task or purpose or function. And so just because you've been baptized by the Holy Spirit, just because you have the Holy Spirit, you can still be filled even more with the Holy Spirit throughout your Christian life. Richard Gaffin Uh, In his great uh, book, In the Fullness of Time, he said, Being baptized with the Spirit is the indicative. Being filled with the Spirit is the imperative. Let me explain what what he means here. Um, So, you know, in the Bible you have indicatives and imperatives. And that's that's uh, often how the the law, often how commands function, is always paired with an indicative. And an indicative is a state of being. You know, like when Paul says, "You have been raised with Christ, seated in the heavenly places." That's that that's an indicative telling you of 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 your status, telling you of what Christ has done, telling you where you are and, and how, how great that is. But then flowing from the indicative is the imperative. And it, you'll notice this in Paul's writings. He always links indicative and imperative. So for example, in Colossians three, you have been uh, raised with Christ. Uh, Therefore, he says, linked to that indicative, now comes the commands, the imperatives. Therefore, keep your minds focused on things in heaven, not on things on the earth. And so Gaffin is saying being baptized by the Spirit is the indicative. That's our status. That's what happened to us. That's what Christ and the Spirit has done for us. We have been baptized into the Holy Spirit. And then the command then, the imperative, but yet be filled with the Holy Spirit. So let us go back and, and examine more closely here. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18. You know, Paul writes to the church and tells the church, be filled with the Holy Spirit. He's, he's writing to a church and telling them this. Not that they didn't have the Holy Spirit. They did. And he's writing to people who had the Holy Spirit, telling them to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Being filled with the Holy Spirit, I think, is at least three things, or, or has three aspects. You know, being filled with the Spirit is controlling. It's controlling. The Spirit should be dominating, controlling in our life. Being filled with the Spirit, number two, is continuing. Seeking to be filled with the Spirit is a continual thing. Each and every day, seeking to be filled with the Holy Spirit. 
and number three, being filled with the Holy Spirit is comprehensive. Again, Gaffin, he said, being filled with the Spirit is not, as it were, the icing on the cake of the Christian life, but is of the substance of the cake. But as we think about Ephesians 5.18, what about drunkenness? What about drunkenness? You know, do not be drunk with wine, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, you know, I've... Um, uh, I spent many years in Baptist circles, and I've seen how this verse has been used, primarily a text, against um, any and all alcohol drinking. In fact, you know, a lot of statements of faith will say, you know, no one's ever allowed to, to have a sip of wine or a beer or anything like that, and then they quote this verse. Uh, well, one, this verse is not speaking about moderate drinking. It's talking about drunkenness. Um, in fact, uh, Psalm 104 speaks about how God gave us wine to gladden our hearts, and it's a good gift from God when used appropriately. But drunkenness is wrong. But drunkenness in this text is not the only or even the primary concern. This negative example in this context is to really illustrate a positive exhortation. The Apostle's primary concern in this command is that the Holy Spirit be dominating and controlling in your life, and that you should exclude any anything else that competes, anything that is, you know, going to be destructive, going to dominate, um, any idolatries, uh, idolatries that um, kind of compete with or try to, as Gaffin said, supplant the all-controlling work of the Holy Spirit. So really, I think Ephesians 5.18, when it's speaking about do not be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit, that, that's just one example of some idolatrous thing that can come into a person's life in a destructive way and he's saying, don't do that. Do not be supplanted by the all-controlling work of the Spirit. Do not give in to the idolatries. So really, I think Ephesians 5.18 here is echoing the first commandment. Have no other God before me. So we must be filled with the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 5.18, interestingly, is a present imperative it's an ongoing, repetitive command. In fact, I think you could translate Ephesians 5.18 as constantly be seeking the filling of the Spirit or seek to be filled with the Spirit again and again. Paul then gives a, a list of participles after that command. So the command, the imperative, be filled with the Spirit. And flowing from that command, he, he gives a list of participles in the text to flesh out this command. So he says, be filled with the Spirit. And what does this look like? What does it look like to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Well, Paul gives us a list of what it looks like to be filled with the Holy Spirit. This list is not an exhaustive list, but it is an important list. There are some key things that happened. There are uh, important results of being filled with the Holy Spirit. For one, 
he says, speaking to one another. Speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. Uh, I think quite basically this means that you're present when God's people are gathered for worship. How, how can you do this with one another if you stay away? But no, being filled with the Holy Spirit means that you are gathered, you are present with the people of God. Otherwise, this would not be possible to speak to our brothers and sisters in Christ in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. And also what's interesting if you read uh, G.K. Beale's commentary on Colossians, because there's a, a parallel in Colossians where Paul uses again this phrase, psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. And G.K. Beale shows that actually you see that phrase, psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, two times in the Old Testament, both in the Psalter, both speaking specifically about psalms. And so I think the primary thing that Paul is getting at here is that we speak psalms to one another. Now, I'm not advocating that we can only sing psalms. I think, no, we can sing hymns that are biblical, that are good, that are rich. I think there's many great hymns throughout church history. And on Sunday, uh, even at, uh, at our church in Westside Reformed Church, we sing some great hymns. Uh, for example, this last Sunday, we sang, uh, Be Thou My Vision. What a great hymn. And so, no, we can sing other songs uh, songs that are even more modern. But uh, I think here in our text, Paul is identifying the Psalms as something that we, we speak to one another. I think that, that the Psalms have a principal place in, in the writing of Scripture. They are, the, the Psalms are God's hymn book. That they, they were meant to be sung, and, and indeed many of them did. And it's so interesting then as we, as we understand what Paul is commanding us to speak psalms to one another, and then we go back throughout the, the Gospels and the book of Acts, and we see how the psalms were constantly on the lips of Christ, constantly being sung by the apostles. They're in prison, and what are they singing? They're singing the Psalter speaking to one another. That's, that, that's one of the, the ways in which being filled with the Holy Spirit is manifest is in psalms. Secondly, he says, singing. Singing. Focus of worship is the Lord, he says. And the worship, he says, is from the heart. So the focus of, of our worship is, is, is Jesus Christ, from the heart. There should be a heartfelt singing. Not not a mindless thing. Not a, I'm just here going through the motions thinking about something else. I'm disengaged. No, it, it is from the heart. Now, certainly the form of worship is important. As Paul says, says elsewhere, 1 Corinthians 14, 40, that everything must be done order, orderly. Everything must be done decently. So even as we have a good order in our worship, even as we have a great liturgy of a back-and-forth dialogue between God and His covenant people, we ought to be worshiping Christ from the heart. We ought to be engaged. You know, what is worshiping from the heart? I think worshiping from the heart means you know, engaging God from the core of our being. 
We are gathered on on his day, on the Lord's day, and we are engaged. And we are engaged not merely in a mindless way or or in a mere external v- verbal way, but as Paul says, from the very core of our being, from the heart we are engaged we are gathered we are in worship we are speaking psalms that is one of the ways in which the being spirit filled is manifest in the christian's life thirdly he says giving thanks giving thanks for those good things giving thanks even for the bad things but how do we give thanks for the bad things you know as, as paul says says elsewhere give thanks in all circumstances well that's you know that's it's difficult when bad things in life are happening how can we how can we give thanks it's not as though we're masochists and we just love pain and we're gonna be excited about all the pain that that we feel no that's not what the text is getting at we don't love pain or anything like that Uh, we don't want to add pain to our to ourselves in a in a in a needless way or, or anything like that but yet we give thanks because we know that even as we suffer, even, even as we walk the valley of the shadow of death, we know that all things are working for our good. We know that, that Christ will make every, everything, even the worst thing that could happen to you, Christ will make the worst thing that could happen to you bow down before you in the service of your salvation it will serve you it will serve your salvation and not just a a mere salvation but your ultimate good in Christ that's the great promise of Romans 8:28 all things work together for good those who love God and so even as bad things happen we know that the the discipline of the Lord is good for us. We know that fire refines us. We know that we can count it all joy when we experience these things because we know the fruit of what those things will, will bring forth in our lives. We can, we can rejoice in the comforts of Christ, the comforts of the church. And so there's we, we should be thankful people. And in fact, I think it's often when we're unthankful that that bad things happen when we're we stop being grateful when we start thinking well i don't deserve this i deserve better i don't you know i i i'm not happy here i'm not content here i'm not and and we start kind of going down this this road of ingratitude this road of just not being thankful and it will actually really damage your posture It, it will damage the way you think it will damage the way you interact with others but if you have a more gratitude filled giving thanks constantly all things giving thanks finding good things finding those gifts that god is giving you that will orient you in so many positive ways it will it will it will benefit your your relationships it will benefit your soul it'll benefit your your mood uh, and and so on it'll be- benefit you in many spiritual and physical ways because that is the posture Christians are supposed to have and that is one of the ways in which the, being spirit filled is manifest in our lives not just speaking psalms and singing heartfeltly to to Christ in corporate worship 
but giving thanks in all circumstances. And finally, in that list of participles, Paul says, being subject, being subject, being subject to one another, you know, ready to serve, ready to help, ready to engage other members of the body of Christ. Now, Paul will speak about this and he'll kind of unpack this participle from Ephesians 5.22 to Ephesians 6.9 as he, as he interacts with husbands and wives and, and, and parents and children, these kinds of things. He's going, to, he's going to kind of unpack what that looks like in the rest of the verse, but being subject to one another. You know, are we ready to serve? Are we ready to help and lend a helping hand? Are we really concerned? Um, and, and not just concern for somebody because it helps you look good, not, not concern for somebody because it's going to benefit you or it means that they're going to join your church, but just having a real concern for, for the person, whether or not they join your church, whether or not you get any credit, whether or not anything positive happens, but just having a real concern for the other person willing to lay down your time and resources and even finances to help somebody. That is one of the ways in which the Spirit manifests in our lives. And did you notice anything about how the Spirit is expressed? I mean, notice uh, this, this list that Paul, that Paul gives. He says, be filled with the Holy Spirit. This is what it looks like. Speaking to one another, the Psalter. Singing to Christ from the heart in corporate worship giving thanks always, being subject, help, helping, serving the members of the body of Christ. And notice that list. That list is not some over-the-top, wild experience, kind of you know, parachuting in, wild stuff. This is very ordinary. This is normal routines of life, and that is what it looks to be spirit-filled these normal routines that shape our week that are unspectacular and ordinary as we as we gather we get week in week out speaking to one another and singing um you know i think too often we have this unrealistic view of being spirit filled and i think what some people do is they pinpoint an emotion that they have and say, well, that's the Holy Spirit, and so I need to get this emotion back so I can have the Holy Spirit. And that's just false, friends. And Michael Horton calls these people uh, spiritual storm chasers, where they, they go to conference to conference and, and uh, concert to concert in order to be uh, kind of have this mountaintop emotional experience where they say, I'm filled with the Spirit. And then when it wanes and cools, they think, well, I'm back in the trenches. I'm back to just week in, week out at church, boring stuff. Now I need to find another concert, another conference, another thing. To kind of go back on this spiritual mountain of mine, and it's just an exhausting life if you think that that's what being spirit filled is. But Paul is giving us a concrete, ordinary list of week in, week out, Lord's Day to Lord's Day, what it looks like, and it is not mountain top to mountain top. It is 
quite ordinary. It's what we're doing. But how can we obey this command to be filled with the Holy Spirit? And what's interesting is that this is a passive imperative. It's a passive imperative. So if you think about active versus passive, if it said, um, I hit, I hit the ball, that's active. I'm doing the hitting. But if it's passive, it means I was hit by the ball. The ball hit me. That's, that's a passive thing. This is a passive imperative, a passive command. We are not commanded to somehow have full command over the Holy Spirit, to have full access to the, the pool of the Spirit that we can just dip into at our, at our will. Being filled with the Spirit is not some 10-step process. It's not a self-help book. It's, it's not something that we can manipulate. So how in the world can we be filled with the Spirit in our lives? I think that we are clued in to something important in Luke 11.13. Luke 11.13 says... If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? So how, how are we filled with the Holy Spirit? Well, one, we should pray. We should ask. We should go to God in prayer. We should take prayer upon our lips and beseech God and ask him, fill me, fill us, fill my family, fill my church with the Holy Spirit. So I think that's a good starting point. But there's something else as well that's interesting. In Colossians, as as I mentioned before, there's a parallel in verse uh, chapter 3, verse 16. In Colossians 3, 16, it says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your heart to God. So how can you be filled with the Holy Spirit? Well, to start, we can fill ourselves with Scripture. Where, in, where Scripture, the Word of Christ, is present and heard, the Spirit is at work. Notice that parallel in Colossians 3 to our text in Ephesians 5, where in Ephesians 5 it says, Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Here in Colossians 3, the parallel, Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. And I think that brings us to a, a great Reformation idea that, that, uh, that the Reformers would speak about. And that is, in Latin, spiritus cum verbo, spirit working with the Word. Too many people, I think, separate the Holy Spirit from the Bible, from the Word of God. And it's, no, no the, the Spirit works with, in, through the Word. The Spirit gave us the Word, and the Spirit united a community, redeemed in Christ, and the Spirit works through the Word. So as we read and hear 
memorize, practice Scripture as we have an ongoing prayer life, the Spirit sovereignly ensures that the passive command to be filled with the Holy Spirit be accomplished. As as one person put it, you know, we, we can't cause the wind to blow, but we can hoist our sails. In other words, I can't control the Spirit, but I can I can put myself in, in where the Spirit typically is in terms of word and sacrament uh, in church. I can I can fill myself with the Word of Christ. I can I can be in prayer and these things. And so, as we look to Christ, as we trust in Christ, as we pray to Him, as we're filled by Him, as we seek His Word and memorize His Word and put to practice His Word, we trust that this passive imperative is being fulfilled by the Holy Spirit, manifesting in our lives as we go out day in, day out, Lord's Day after Lord's Day, speaking to one another, the Psalter, singing from our heart to Christ, giving thanks in all circumstances, being subject to every member of the body of Christ. I hope that this has been a helpful podcast, a helpful devotional, thinking about being filled with the Holy Spirit and what that looks like, and I pray that the Spirit would manifest mightily in your lives. Amen.